0: Thank you, my hero. (laughs) Oh, wow, what a treat. Pastor Billy mentions that it's written for people of average intelligence like him. Don't let that intimidate you. There is nothing average about his intelligence. And trust me, having his endorsement in my book uh, upgrades my status, not his. Uh, My name's on the front, but having your name in it, uh, my friend, is is a true blessing. He showed that picture of Shaq's Jersey retirement, and he, he, you know, kindly gave me a couple extra inches to say I looked the same height as Shaq. But there were actually five guys in that picture taller than me, because I'm only seven feet, and um, so there were five other guys in there. But I was by far the most handsome, and um, (laughs) which is all that really matters. But, Pearlside, it is just a treat. Uh, Jennifer and I say this every time we come out here. One of the real privileges of our life is to be able to come and spend time with you, to be able to minister to you, to be able to be ministered to, by you, to watch this incredible community in action is just a treat, such a treat. You know, when you're a part of something incredible, um, you, you can kind of see this exceptional, incredible thing as normal. And you are not normal in the best way possible you 're an incredible church. we were driving here for the, for the seven o 'clock service. It was you know six six something and still dark as we were coming and there were signs out and there were buses moving, and there were people greeting with smiles on the face. You all serve with such a great heart. Thank you. that is not normal and it 's not normal what god 's doing here when you 're in an environment where God is moving powerfully and profoundly, you can just figure that he's doing it everywhere among everyone, and he's not. There is something about the way you love him and one another that I think draws him here in a unique way. We travel all over the world, and when we get to come here, we know that we're gonna get to meet God differently because he's doing something exceptional among you. And when you've got incredible leaders like Pastor Billy and the entire staff and team you have here, you can sometimes think that that's normal. Oh yeah, every pastor's amazing. They're not (laughs) all amazing. And I don't know any that are as amazing as the pastors you have. Pastor Billy and Naomi are literally some of the finest leaders in the kingdom of God anywhere on this planet. We had them in uh, with us in Orlando in January. And in just a very short one weekend, Pastor Billy did things in our church that have catalyzed us in ways that Despite almost having a PhD in organizational leadership and pastoring this same group for 18 years, he did things in a weekend that I haven't been able to do. He took us steps forward in ways that I couldn't. He he unlocked some things in our leaders that I haven't been able to. You are a blessed people. You're blessed by those sitting next to you. You're blessed by the way God graces you with his presence. That's not normal. And you are blessed by the leaders that God has given you. Thank you, Pastor Billy, for having me here. It's a a real treat. So at the 100th year of the invention of basketball, Sports Illustrated put out this this book, aptly named 100 Years of Hoops. And being a basketball player, I was still in my playing career when this came out, so uh, my mother-in-law got me this book. And I thought, oh, this is awesome, 100 Years of Hoops. It combines my love of history and my love of basketball, and my mother in law is a fan, and my wife's a great fan. so, So I got the book. And I was super excited and I opened it and it was like, oh, yeah, hey, this is great. And I turned to my wife and I said, I wonder if I'm in here. <laughs> and my biggest fan, my number one cheerleader, the person who on my behalf has yelled at more referees than anybody else, <laughs> laughed. <laughs> I'm like, what? And she goes, well, I mean, you are a great player and all. But It covers a hundred years, and there's not that many pages in it. And while you were and currently are a great player and all, um, it probably has, it probably doesn't have you in it. And I was deeply offended. And with that, she walked out of the room. And I'm like, well, what the heck? I'm going to find me in the book, right? So I open the book, I go to the table of contents, and it turns out that it's it's laid out by like basketball topic. So there's you know the fast break, and I'm like, well, I'm not there. <laughs> and then there's <laughs> playing above the rim. I'm not there. But then there was the blocked shot. Now I said this with all humility, but I am third all time, leading block leader in block shots at the University of Notre Dame third all-time come on that's good I'm actually number one in fouls committed but I didn't want to go to that section (laughs) but I'm third all-time at Notre Dame in block shots so I'm going if I'm anywhere I'm in block shots so I flip to the block shot section and right there as soon as you go to block shot there's a full-color gigantic picture of Wilt Chamberlain the most dominant big man of his era is skying high and he's blocking a hook shot from all-time NBA great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who at the time of his retirement was the leading scorer in the history of the NBA. Incredible picture. So I turn the page and right there, a giant full page picture of all-time NBA great Shaquille O'Neal, the most dominant big man of his era, blocking a shot. So then I turn the page to page 55, which just happens to have been my jersey number with the Orlando magic. I turn the page and I'm like, Jennifer, get in here. (laughs) And she comes in and guess what? Let's put that up. There is this picture. Now, the guy on the left is not the third leading shot blocker in Notre Dame history. <laughs> the guy on the left is all-time great NBA big man, Dukembe Matombo, who at the time of his retirement had more block shots in the NBA than any player in NBA history. The other guy <laughs> with hair is the third leading shot blocker in NBA history getting his shot blocked. <laughs> so Jennifer came in, and before she, read, she, before she even looked at the picture, she read the caption, which I don't know if you can see it, but allow me to tell you what it says. It says, Notre Dame's Keith Tower had no chance to get this shot over Mutombo in the 1989 NCAA tournament, immortalized, forever in the book, And my number one fan laughed again. (laughs) But I'm in the book! (laughs) I want you to look at that picture for just a second. It's one of my all-time favorite pictures. I want you to look really closely and see if you notice in that picture what I notice. Stare at it. Burn that into your memory and see if you see in there what I see. When I look at that picture of me, I realize that it's also a picture of you. In the book. The only reason I'm there is because the author chose to put me there. In fact, by my own effort, it literally says I had no chance. (laughs) And the only reason you're in the Lamb's Book of Life is because the author and perfecter of your life decided he'd put you there. Not because you're a Hall of Famer. You were probably like me in your spiritual life and you had no chance. <laughs> There's nothing we've done that can warrant us being in the book other than the author and editor saying, I want you in it. And if you ever feel like, man, my spiritual life is, is cratering and I, f- I can't figure up from down and how to serve God well, you're right, that's you. Or if you happen to think, man, God must really think I'm the bee's knees, man, because I'm doing so great. He couldn't get along without me. Let me help you out. That's you. (laughs) You're there because he decided he wanted to put you in. Not based on what you've done. We're in a series today, week two of a series that we're calling Crossroad, The Journey to New Life. And we're looking at the decisions that we make at the crossroads of life that affect how we live the rest of our lives. And we're, 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 the crossroads we're looking at is uh, through a lens of the road that Jesus was taking to the cross. Haha, <laughs> get it? Crossroad. In the last couple weeks of Jesus' life, as he's journeying toward the cross, there were junctures and decision points that he had where he could have turned left or could have turned right, and he just decided, I'm gonna go straight ahead, set my face like Flint, and I'm going to the cross. And if we analyze his decision-making in some of these moments, what we're gonna find is we too can figure out how to handle the crossroads in our life, and we can get ourselves to that exact same cross. And if we can get there, despite nothing that we bring to the table, except the sin that needs forgiven, We too can find ourselves in the book, living the kind of life Jesus paid for us to live. We're gonna be in John chapter 13 today. We're gonna read John chapter 13, verses one through 17. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage, uh, but I wanna read it all because God's word, even without my help of preaching it, can do a whole lot to save your life. So we're only gonna talk about some of it, but I wanna read all of it. John chapter 13, Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do that. Jesus is sitting down for the last time with the people that are closest to him in the world. He's got his best buddies and they're having a final meal. And one might think, knowing that he's about to Hand off this ministry for which he came, to destroy the works of the devil and to establish the kingdom of God. One might think, man, he should be like praying for them. He should be like teaching them. Maybe get out an org chart and tell them how to build this thing. And he eventually does pray to them before he go, pray for them before he goes to the cross, and he does give them some final instruction. But before he does any of that, he takes a surprising action and he washes their feet. Now the passage starts off in verse one, it says this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus knew that his end had come He knew what awaited him in mere hours. He knew the betrayal, he knew the trial, he knew the agony he was about to face. He knew the time had come, and yet his heart was set on loving other people. I think one of the things that I most admire about you, Pearlside, is the way you love other people, even when you might be going through personal or corporate adversity. Jennifer and I had the opportunity to first come and and minister here literally the week before the entire world shut down with COVID. Remember that? And I watched so many leaders and so many churches and so many followers of Jesus do what happens in times of pain or in times of uncertainty or in times of potential trial. They they go inward and they move towards self-preservation. And while I watched that happening all around the world, I watched this body of people, despite facing the same pain, the same loss, the same uncertainty, put your eyes on loving the community around you. Golly, you're exceptional. You're exceptional. I watched you mobilize to help Maui. Next Saturday, you're gonna be feeding your community. And some of you may not have the resources in the pocket to in your pockets to feed yourselves adequately, and yet you're gonna take care of other people. That's what a follower of Jesus looks like, because that's what Jesus looked like. He knew the hour was there, and instead of being heavy about the events about to happen, his heart was heavy for love for those that mattered most to him. He goes on in verse two and says, during supper, (coughs) excuse me, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. This is incredible to me. We know from the text that he invited people to come and we know from the text that he invites them to this meal and that he washes their feet. But we know from this statement right here that he invites them and he washes them despite knowing what's in them. And Judas gets called out here. I mean, he's got 12 people at the dinner. One of them is a betrayer, but make no mistake, this isn't the greatest group of people to assemble because while you have one betrayer, you also have one denier and nine abandoners. We know from later scriptures that the only disciple that's present at the cross is John the other 11 go sideways on him. And he still invites them. Knowing what's in them and knowing what they're going to do, he invites them and he serves them. There are so few people among us, if we can be candid, who are actually worthy to be served. There were some, there are a rare few, maybe due to the importance of their job or their busyness of their job or their status in life that we might go, yeah, they're worthy of being served, but there are so few who are worthy of being served. The reality is most aren't. Most of us are not worthy of being served and most people out there aren't worthy of us serving, but that doesn't matter. The worthiness of the served to be served has nothing to do with the high godly calling on us to serve. None of these guys were worthy to be invited in the first place. But that has nothing to do with the fact that someone is inviting. Whether one is invited and whether one is served in the kingdom of God has much more to do with the heart of the inviter and the server than the worthiness of the invited and the served. Could you put that picture up for me for just a quick second? That's how worthy we all are to get served. But it doesn't matter. That's how worthy the people around you are to be served. But it doesn't matter. Jesus decided anyway to invite and to wash. But please understand, he's not serving you and inviting you because you're worthy. Jesus serves and invites because you're chosen. If we can be honest, I don't mean to demean anybody in here, but you don't bring that much to the table. When we're speaking of like God desiring to have you in his presence and to use you in the earth, because we're talking about a God who spoke and created a universe with his words. So if we can be honest, unless you can open your mouth and a universe flies out, your resume is not that impressive. So God's not picking you because he needs your help. He's just picking you because he's got an incredible heart. He chose, not because you're worthy. And I personally, I gotta be honest, I personally find being chosen to be of much greater value than being worthy anyway. Because the chooser had to pay a higher price. See, if I'm worthy, it's based on the sacrifices that I made to become something. But if I'm chosen, it's based on the sacrifices that he made to allow me to become something. It's a far greater value. And I love that passage that we just were in, in verse four, it says, understanding this, he rose from supper. Serving and loving people sometimes requires you to get up, even when nobody else will. Passage goes on in verse 4, and it says, He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Fast forward to verse 15. He says, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. The king of the entire universe took the most menial task in the house. The king and creator of all things, the one at whose name every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. That brother got down in front of dirty Dusty feet. He got down in front of calloused, rough feet with hard spots. My feet don't agree real well with sandals. I don't know if it's because they were 16 or what, but every time I wear sandals, I get little hot spots. Like I wear some Birkenstocks and it just rubs wrong, and I've got like a raw, hot, sensitive spot. This God got down to their hot spots. Can I tell you, Jesus is not afraid of your dirt. He is not bothered by your calluses. Our God has no problem going directly to the place of the most friction in your life that is a sensitive hot spot to you and ministering to that doesn't bother him in the slightest. Those spots that are calloused, those spots that have become hard, those spots that to you feel so rough, that doesn't bother him at all. So often, I, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, man, if Jesus is gonna come anywhere near my feet, like I'm getting a pedicure before before. <laughs> and I don't do that. But before I'm gonna let you get around these things, I'm gonna clean them up, and he doesn't need that. He's fine with the dirt. So he takes on this most menial task that's typically given to the lowest servant in the house, because it's nasty. The Lord of all, the king of the universe, gets to the lowest job to serve another. What's your excuse? Is there something that's below you? Because Jesus just decided that the best way he was gonna lift humanity up is not to pull you from on high, but to get below, underneath, and push up. What's our excuse? When we started our church, we started it in the the home of our short pastor. He's only Um, (laughs) 6'10". He's an 11 year NBA player. His name's Andrew DeClercq. He's one of the most famous guys in our city because he's from the state of Florida. He went to the University of Florida. And at the time we started our church in his living room, he was playing for the Orlando Magic. Everybody knows who he is. And as we're starting the church, you know, it's funny because we played at different eras with, with the Orlando Magic, but we both even wore number 55. So it's kind of weird. So I'm looking at Andrew, same jersey number, 6'10, NBA player. I'm like, buddy, if you're gonna make a difference with your life in the kingdom, you need to just do what I do because I'm doing great things. <laughs> so I would like force him to get on stage. And hey, man, people need to see you. They need to hear from you. You're Andrew DeClerc. If you tell them to do something, by golly, they're going to go do it. And he, when he got on stage, what's the right word? God, he was terrible at it. (laughs) He just wasn't very good. He was uncomfortable, and he kind of just sort of mumbled, and he didn't like it. And every time I'd be like, get up there, he'd go, do I have to? I'm like, serve Jesus, come on. And I would force him to it and he didn't like that I was forcing him to do it so he'd get mad at me and then I'd get mad at him and it just, it was just, it, was a, it wasn't going well. So we were in a rented, little rented facility at the time and we had multiple services and I kept going, come on, get up there, do something for Jesus from the stage because they'll know you. And uh, it was between services and last group had left, the next group hadn't come in and I went in to use the restroom and I go in there and Andrew DeClerk, multi-millionaire, 11-year NBA veteran, one of the most famous guys in our city, is on his hands and knees scrubbing a toilet. I said, what are you doing? And he was embarrassed that I saw him. I said, are you okay? He said, yeah, I'm okay. I said, what are you doing? And he just sort of sheepishly said, I, I, I'm cleaning the toilets. Like, Toilets, like all of them? He said, yeah. I said, why are you doing that? He said, well, somebody might come in next service that doesn't know Jesus. And I happen to think that the cleanliness of our bathrooms speak volumes to how ready we are to receive them and maybe introduce them to Jesus. And I don't know that I've ever felt like a bigger fool because here I am, trying to force him to do something for God. And when nobody else was looking, and no one else was willing, he would go into a rented bathroom on his hands and knees for the glory of Jesus. And I gotta tell you, second probably, we go to a lot of different churches, second probably only to you we have the servingest church I know. And the reason we have people that serve without hesitation and without question is not because I tell them to from here. It's because Andrew does while on his hands and knees. And they look at the most famous guy in our city, one of the richest guys they've ever met, and they say, if he does that, what's my excuse? to the glory of God, he gets underneath and lifts up. And here's what Jesus said, I'm giving you an example. This is for us to do, church. There's nothing too low. It all matters in the kingdom of God. Verse goes on and passage goes on in verse six. It says, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus said, you you don't understand what's happening. There are things that Jesus is doing right now for you and right now around you that you may not understand and that's okay, you're in pretty good company. Just keep doing it anyway. Just keep obeying him anyway. If you don't yet understand what the the disciplines of a faith-filled life are producing, just keep doing them anyway. Because he says eventually you'll understand. But this blows me away about Peter right here because you may or may not know this depending how much scripture you've read, but Peter is generally considered a a go-getter. I mean, he's a man of action. He spent most of his life about a step ahead of Jesus, like just just a little bit too quick to things. But he's an action-oriented guy. And here in this text, we see this action-oriented disciple actually telling Jesus to stop. Don't do that. Don't, you will never wash my feet. Stop what you're in the middle of doing. It's amazing what doubt and a lack of understanding will produce in us. They produce inactivity. When we don't understand what God's doing, the most natural thing to do is to stop. Stop it, God. Stop it. Oh, I got to figure it out first. A lack of understanding and doubt produce inactivity. And, 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 and think about this. Jesus is telling, he's, Peter has watched him clean feet and clean feet and clean feet. And he comes to him and says, it's your turn. I am now gonna do this. And Peter tells him, don't do what you're already doing. Because doubt and understanding misunderstanding lead us to asking too little of God. Come on, somebody. When you don't understand what God's doing, even if he's doing it, we tend to ask below it. Oh Lord, I know you heal. I've heard 50 testimonies, but hey, kind of if it's sort of your will, maybe you could kind of, but if you don't, I get it. Doubt and misunderstanding cause us to ask too little of God when he's already demonstrated his willingness to do. Here's another funny thing that happens though, because Peter still doesn't understand. And Jesus is like, well, if I, don't, if I don't wash you, you're not gonna be clean. And then in verse nine, Peter says, well, hey buddy, give me a full shower then, right? Like, hey, if you wanna scrub my hair, you know, maybe a little bit here, like, he says, wash it all. And can I tell you the doubt and misunderstanding sometimes cause us to demand too much of God. We either ask too little of what he's already doing and we say, yeah, that's for them. It probably isn't for me. Or we go, you need to do it this way. And simply what we're supposed to do is just walk faithfully with Jesus. When you don't understand, just keep doing what he's asked you to do until you do understand. Because he tells him later, you will understand this. So our response to anything God's doing in our life is just to simply let Jesus do with your life what he decides to do. And eventually, it'll make sense to you. It goes on in verse 12 and says, and when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? Do you understand what I've done for you? He, he's not instituting like a literal practice for the modern church, despite there being ceremonial foot washings. He's not saying we need to literally wash feet. But he is putting into the church a forever principle of service toward others motivated by love, not their worthiness. And if he loved as the passage says he'd love them till the end if he loved them till the end and then he served them till the end it means that if our love is genuine our service will be genuine if you love deeply then there is no level of service that's beneath you but there's even more when he says do you understand what i've done for you based on his love and not based on their worth, Jesus invited them here to a sumptuous meal. And and it's a foreshadow. Do you understand what I've done for you? The totality of this, you coming to a meal, is a foreshadow of the banquet that he invites humanity to in heaven one day. A, A banquet where he invites not because you're amazing, but precisely because you're not. And he invites, and then he cleans at his own personal expense, up to and including what some would perceive to be his very dignity. Do you understand what I'm doing? Do you understand? I was playing for the Orlando Magic and uh, it was Christmas time, and we had the richest owner in all of professional sports. Not just the NBA, not just American sports. Anywhere on the planet, professional sports, richest owner. And in professional sports, around Christmas time, you get some pretty sweet Christmas gifts. You usually get whatever it is that the owner made his fortune in, you usually get something along those lines. So I had a, a college teammate who was now playing in the NBA, and his owner made his money in car dealerships, and every player got a brand new BMW for Christmas. So we had the richest owner in sports, and can I tell you, I could not wait for Christmas. Because if that guy got a BMW, what were we gonna get? So it was Christmas time, the owner came in, he gave everybody the exact same size box. It was wrapped up, and we said, okay, go ahead. And we ripped off the, the paper, and it's a box. And he goes, open your box. And I opened the box, and it was a book. I mean, it was a nice book. This had a leather cover on it. Had, like, the Orlando Magic logo embossed on it. My name was on it. And then two other words that said Holy Bible on it. I'm like, he gave me a book. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is one of those books where, like, the pages are cut out, right? So the car keys are inside. I'm like, oh, man, this is funny. Plus, you're funny. So I start flipping through, and all it is is words and pages. <laughs> I, and I, I got to tell you, I was I was had a I wasn't the greatest guy that's ever lived, but I had enough decency to smile fakely and say thank you. But on the inside, I'm like, you're, you're cheap. Like, you're what the, the heck is this? I didn't understand. I thought the richest owner in sports would give me something that I would value, and instead, he gave me a treasure. But I took that thing not understanding, and I threw it in my locker, and it sat there for two years, under shoes and socks and banana peels and Gatorade cans and all kind of stuff. Didn't have the cleanest locker ever. Eventually, fast forward a few years, I was heading to training camp with the Milwaukee Bucks and I was kind of scanning my bookshelf because training camp's very boring and what's a book I could read and, oh, there's this dusty one over here that I've never, oh yeah, it's my Bible. Like, well, this is thick, this'll last me a while. So I throw it in my bag and I take it with me. Never opened it. First time I opened it, I had it with me at at a meal. I was sitting in our hotel to dinner, and I had a couple of Christian teammates come over and sit by me, and I didn't want that. I wanted to just keep my dirty feet where they were, but they wanted to come and serve me. So they sat down, and we talked about the important things of life, and what I quickly realized is I didn't know as much as I thought I knew. Every significant issue of life, they had a better answer for, and I started to become less and less sure of what I thought to be true. And at one point, I'm like, how come my answers sound not good and yours sound so great? My teammate reached over and grabbed that Bible and said, let me show you where ours come from. And he opened the book for the first time, and he cut me to shreds. And by the end of our conversation, I was convinced of two things. Everything in this book was real, and I was on a fast track to hell. I knew it. I didn't understand how it all worked, but I understood those two things to be true. So he wrote out on a little cocktail napkin, I still have it actually, wrote out a little prayer of how to invite Jesus to be Lord of my life, how to, how to surrender to him. And he said, if you believe this to be true, when you go back to your room tonight, pray it out loud. And when you wake up tomorrow, your life will never be the same. So I, my head was spinning, I'm walking back to my room. I do not understand the nature of this thing that I'm holding in my hand, either the prayer or the book. And I didn't understand what it meant that my life would never be the same. I didn't know. But I get back to my room and I get down on my knees and I, I saw somebody do this one time, so I did that. <laughs> it got all official. And I'm looking at this paper and all I can hear is your life will never be the same. And I took that paper, and I wadded it up, and I threw it in the trash. And I tried to go to bed. And it just, I could literally hear it in the trash can calling me. So I got out of bed and did this again. I I did this probably 12 times that night. (sighs) I put it in my sock drawer, and I tried to go to bed, and I got it back out. I wrestled with this piece of paper this big for two hours. Harder than I ever wrestled with Shaquille O'Neal for two hours in practice. I didn't understand what was going on. I knew that my life would never be the same. I didn't know what that meant, but I also knew at the same time my life couldn't stay the way that it was. So I prayed it. I surrendered. And here's what's interesting. I woke up the next day and I still didn't understand it. But I just started to live it and this crazy thing happened. As I started to live it, I started to understand it. It started to make sense. Fun fact, at, the, the, at Shaq's Jersey retirement, I had the opportunity to, our owner that gave me the Bible has since passed on to glory with Jesus. But all of his kids are now co owned the team. They were all there at that event. I got the opportunity to tell them that their dad's Bible saved my life. And they were very pleased with that started to understand Do you understand what I've done for you by inviting you? Do you understand what I've done for you by being the one that will clean you? Man, our God's amazing. Can you put up that picture again for me one last time as we close? I love that picture because that's me in a spiritual sense. <laughs> but I'm in the book. <laughs> and I love that picture because in a spiritual sense, that's you. And if Jesus is Lord of your life, if you would answered the invitation and let him clean you, that's you. But that's also them. There are people in your life that got some real rough spots. There's some people in your life that got some real hot, sensitive things going on. There's some people in your life that are real dirty. And before we think we're in the book because we're the all star, we need to remember that he calls people like that. And they are that. So what we do when we understand that we're that, but in the book, we go invite them that are not yet in. And when he said, I'm giving you a model, it's to go to invite them, no matter how callous they might seem, to serve them, no matter how dirty they might look, and to love them in such a way that we could lift them into something they never could be without Jesus. Father, we love you. Daddy, you're great. Your word is true. What you did for us, Jesus, is beyond our ability to ever thank you or repay you. But you actually don't ask us for repayment. (laughs) You just invite us to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Such a great word. And I'll ask Pastor Keith if he would lead us. Because there, there may be many of you here who, like him, when he was playing basketball all those years ago, don't know the Lord Jesus and are wrestling with that decision to follow him. Because you don't have all the answers. It doesn't all make sense. You don't understand how life could possibly look going forward if I surrender my life to Jesus. But Pastor Keith is a living demonstration of that Jennifer the way that he healed your marriage and gave you a second chance and redeemed and restored but that wrestle is so real yes and I I just wanted to ask Pastor Keith if he would lead some of us who maybe are in that place right now to taking that step of faith and making that decision and receiving that treasure amen Pastor Keith yeah there's likely two groups of people here that if you haven't given your life to Jesus there's typically one of two reasons my guess would be Maybe you're thinking, yeah, he could do that for them, but not for me, do you you know what I've done? Yeah, he knows, and he invites you anyway. He invited his betrayer, he invited his denier, he invited people just like you, and he's inviting you now. There's nothing you've done that would preclude him from being able to to wash you. What he did on the cross, is sufficient, and that invitation is for you. Then there's the other side that are going, I mean, that God thing, okay, that works for all you broken people, but I don't need that. I mean, if I just got a better job, if I just got a bigger house, if I just got a different marriage, if I just had a little fame, if I just had, can I tell you as an NBA player, I had access to anything I wanted immediately available at my fingertips. I was 22 years old and making more money than my dad had made in his lifetime. I was on TV, I'm traveling with Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway, I played with Michael Jordan, it was like traveling with the Beatles. Tens of thousands of fans screaming for us everywhere we went, people wanting autographs, never waiting at a restaurant, walking in. I had everything I ever thought I could possibly want and I was actually missing the only thing I really needed. There is not, trust me, from someone who has tried it all, there is not something else that will satisfy. It doesn't exist outside of God. You were made for him, and there is not anything in this world that can sufficiently, permanently satisfy you. Can't happen. So you need to get off the rat race and just surrender. Just yield. You're not gonna find it. Don't waste your time. Now go ahead and achieve, be awesome. we got athletes here, go to the next level. Great, super, awesome. Just understand that that is not a sufficient God for you. Can't satisfy. So if you're on this side where, man, I am busted up and don't know if he could, if he could, could have me, he's motivated by his love, not by what you did. If you're on this side and think there's something else out there, there isn't. I know firsthand. at a 30-year reunion when we were retiring Shaq's jersey, guys much more famous and wealthy than me, and they still, after a 30-year search, haven't found it outside of Jesus, doesn't exist. So he invites us to the table. All we do is say, okay. So bow your heads with me if you would. If you're sitting in this place and this invitation to the table is to you for the first time, Nobody's looking at you but me because I wanna know who I'm praying with. Just raise your hand for me, would you? Yep, hmm yep, 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 yep. Here's what you pray. Lord Jesus, I'm done leading my own life. I am now and forever accepting your invitation to be my Lord. I turn from everything I know to be sin. And I turn over control of my life to you. And I ask you to lead me, guide me, make me new, and invite me into your book. And I thank you that no matter how old that book gets, I'm still on page 55. If you've invited Jesus to be Lord of your life, if you've accepted what he did on the cross on your behalf, if you're surrendering that which you know to be sin and trusting in him alone, his invitation in ink that can't be erased is your names in the book. Welcome to the family of God.